On the front of your bulletin, you perhaps have discovered this uh, graphic that shows that we are focusing on the subject of balance uh, through these summer Sundays. Uh, last week, we considered the idea of, of balance with our work, job, family is this week. We will focus on balance in our love relationships and our health with our friends with our church, with our money. As we move through these uh, times of reflection together, I hope that you will make it an effort on your part to be here and to be a part of of this discussion that we have ongoing. And as we seek to live lives that are in balance with what God wishes for us, I can remember a time a number of years back when I woke up in the morning and I was completely without balance, or at least pretty much so. Um, I can remember attempting to stand and my head was just swimming. It was whirling. In fact, um, I remember trying to walk across the room and Even though I felt physically that I was okay and I should have been capable of standing, I was listening to the side, and Sue said, you need to go to the doctor. And so I did, and um, he said, you've got a case of vertigo. It's probably something in your inner ear that's working with you right now. And he gave me some medicine, and fortunately, I pulled out of that pretty quickly, but it it was a reminder to me of how important balance is. Um, Just a little bit of imbalance can make everything seem off kilter and in fact can even be dangerous if we allow that imbalance to go unchecked. Um, It can become uh, that thing which rules all of life, not only in the category in which it is imbalance, but also in other places where we might have previously felt that life was very well balanced. I have uh, reflected on this scripture, and I want to share with you particularly three things that have come to my mind. In this scripture, it would be an injustice simply to think of it as being a moral lesson in the importance of being a prayerful people. Not that that is not important. That is important. And you can get that out of this, out of this passage of scripture from Mary's attentiveness to God. And perhaps you have heard uh, Bible lessons or, or preachers who have expounded on that as being um, the, the real focus here. But there are a few other things that come to my mind uh, which tell me that there is something greater at work that is going on within the nature of Jesus' coming to Bethany to be particularly at this house. And the first thing that comes to my mind is that Jesus found a place of welcome within a non-conventional family in Bethany. Have you considered that for, before about this passage? That Jesus found a place of welcome within a non-conventional family in Bethany. Do you see where it says here that Martha welcomed him into 
her home. That was non-conventional to begin with. How was it that this house became Martha's home? Obviously, it was the case that Mary was living with Martha in that home. And if you know the continuing story here, Lazarus too was living there with his two sisters in that home. You may say to yourself, well, that's fascinating because Lazarus, isn't he the one that became sick and he died? Jesus came back. He had already been buried and then he was raised from the dead. Exactly. This is the family that we're talking about in this little community called Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. And there in that setting, we may think, oh, I have a picture of what it looks like. But don't be so eager that you think that you have the full picture of what that household might have been. You may be saying, well, it was Martha and it was Mary and it was Lazarus. And I say, hold on there. You don't know that there were not more persons that were in that house. You do not know the full story of what was going on there. And I will also say, I do not know the full story as well. But I know my family and I know the story at least part of the stories of my family. One of the things that I have in my spirit is the fact that my father grew up in very, very poor circumstances. In fact, he was, he and his family, his mother, they were in such desperately poor circumstances that his mother was not able to care for he and his brother for a period of time during their early years. And in fact, it was because it was necessary for her to work a couple of jobs just to make ends meet. My father remembers that he and his brother lived with her grandmother and her sisters in another home in Cartersville, Georgia. Those sisters of my grandmother were very precious to my father. They endeared themselves to him. And when we were growing up, we would go and not only visit his mother, my grandmother, but we also would always see Aunt Vera and Aunt Ruby. They weren't my aunts, they were my great aunts. And we would go and visit them. Aunt Vera and Ruby lived in the same house. But did I tell you that there was a man that lived in that house with them? And I know you want to know who that was, right? (laughs) But Aunt Vera and Aunt Ruby had Aunt Ruby's husband who lived there as well, Uncle Mac. I do not remember Uncle Mac speaking 10 words across the 10 years that I knew him. I can remember Uncle Mac who would say goodbye, I'm going fishing as he left to get in his pickup and tow his boat to the lake. Um, but there was not much communication. He was this background presence in our family. But he was a part of the whole of what was going on there. It was a non-conventional household. And out of that, my father 
found a place of welcome and love. Do you know that Jesus came into that house at Bethany, not judging whether it was worthy of him, whether it was traditional enough for him to stay there, but that he came because that house in particular had within it people who were ready to love Jesus, and they became dear friends to him. They created home for him. I cannot help but think that Martha may have overheard Jesus himself say that the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And she took that to heart, and she said, he does now and forever will have a place to lay his head in my house. Do you remember the statement, the family that prays together stays together? I know you probably think, well, James Dobson came up with that. But it predates James Dobson's using it. It goes back to Patrick Payton about a hundred years ago, an Irish priest who would have spoken it in heavy brogue would have said, the family that prays together stays together. We have taken it and we've co-opted it to think that really applies to a father and a mother and their little children gathered either around a table or beside a bed before going to sleep at night. And we have done an injustice to that statement because of it. We need to come to new ways of looking at family. Even you who are represented here represent the complexities of family in our world. And it's not our culture alone that has created this. We have perfected it in some ways. But family has always been this complex thing across the generations. Even Jesus' family was very complex. What happened to Joseph? I mean, he's there in the beginning. He doesn't actually say anything, but what happened to him? And scholars have even wrestled with this because we don't know. He wasn't around after those first few years of Jesus' life. Did he die? We don't know. Where did he go? What happened that he was no longer in the picture? Have you asked yourself that question before? Have you seen that Jesus even came from a non-conventional family? At the beginning of his ministry, just after Jesus called his disciples to come and follow him, do you remember that the crowds were gathering around him? Some were fascinated with what he was saying. Others were saying he's mad. He is insane to the point that it says in the scripture, if you want to check me on this, you can look in Mark chapter three, that his family came to constrain him and take him back home. Is that interesting? Jesus came from a very 
non-traditional family. Do you remember when Jesus was in one household and there were so many people that had filled the room where he was speaking and teaching that he was past the message that his mother and his brothers were at the door asking for them. And his response was, who are my mother and my brothers? You know that went over well, don't you? Here, even in Luke's telling of the story, in the Sermon on the Plain, as, as Luke loves to call it, Matthew calls it the Sermon on the Mount, Luke says that Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. You, you figure out who was right on this one. But Jesus and what he says is powerful. He said, but I say to you, listen, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also from anyone who takes away your coat. Do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The next line is critical here. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners, even sinners love those who love them. You may have thought that your greatest task in all of the world was to love your family. These are the ones that God has given to you. I'm not saying don't do that. Do that. But that is a starting place with Jesus. For he says, even the evil people in this world love their families. What we are called to do is to connect ourselves with the greater sense of the worldwide family all around us. Jesus' concept of family should expand our ideas of family. This past week, you heard me talking about Vacation Bible School. Our halls were filled with children, and it was fascinating because they were such an assorted mix of folk. In fact, it was a beautifully colored hallway of people that were here, and I celebrate that. In fact, it is my hope that we might be able to not entice anyone away from another church to come to be a part of Pittman Park. But I know that a number of these children are not active in any church anywhere. And it is our hope to make connections with the families uh, by contacting them following Vacation Bible School in order to get them involved here at Pittman Park. In fact, this is a critical part of who we are and who we should see ourselves as God's people reaching out and making invitation, not based on whether it looks like they would fit in here, but thinking about the greater picture of the family around us that God wishes us to involve in what he is doing here in non-conventional ways. We had children who were parented by grandparents. 
We have biracial families that were a part of our vacation Bible school. We had children that were gathered here that were out of foster situations, all of which was beautiful, I believe, in the sight of God. And so sermon one is done. My reflection is that Jesus found a place of welcome with a non-conventional family in Bethany. Now sermon two. You ready? My reflection is, it isn't, isn't it interesting how different sisters can be? <laughs> Martha, this task-oriented individual, and Mary with her new idea of what it means to welcome someone, especially Christ. Uh, this past week, as I've already mentioned, Stephanie was so busy with all of the preparations and all of the comings and goings of Vacation Bible School, and it takes that. And to see the army of volunteers that were put together, I want to say kudos to all of these persons because without somebody who is going to work, it will not get done. It will not get done. And so God bless us if it's just a whole bunch of people sitting around watching what's going on. We need people who will work. In fact, though, as we look at this, we may see in looking at Mary that there is a new kind of welcome that she offers, a new possibility of sitting and being in the presence of Christ Our households are full of characters. (laughs) They are. There is no family excluded from this. Um, It may be that you are thinking your family created the definition for dysfunction, but your family did not do that. Our family did that, okay? (laughs) To tell you the truth, every family has some dysfunctionality in it. Just check your family tree. Check your family tree. (laughs) And as you do that, if you do not find anyone in your family tree who appears to be dysfunctional, maybe you are the person (laughs) who is creating the issue for your family. We are constantly in relational negotiations and we get so confused when we look at things like Facebook and this is not to bash Facebook, but what happens with Facebook is people will post those highlight pictures of things that are going on in their life, you know, and put it on the news feed and then we look And we're flipping through other people's little stories of beautiful success in what family life can be, you know. And we get it in our minds, this is what I don't have. And so we don't see any of the behind scenes of what is reality in their family. But we think when we look at the picture 
that we're getting the full idea of who they are and what we're not. The truth is, the truth is that they have things they're not showing you. They have things they're not showing you because this is the way life is. We want to embrace the idea that all is well with life. And so we will post that even anticipating that we might believe it even more and that others might believe it with us. But part of what I am suggesting here is that there is some good. In fact, it should be a starting place for us in order to gain balance to first acknowledge the imbalance of life. Because if we have not acknowledged the imbalance of life, there is no way that we can have balance. We need to know the reality of who we are and what we are about honestly before we can see any way to finding balance. There needs to be a loving appreciation for our differences, especially within our families. And so comes to the end, sermon number two. Reflection, it is interesting how different sisters can be. But I've got a third sermon for you. But this is the last one. You ready? Okay. My third reflection on this passage of Scripture is to do, it has to do with what in the world then are we to do with this Scripture? What are we to do with this scripture? That's a good question. In fact, anytime we turn to scripture, that should be our question. It is not good enough to read the Bible just for story's sake. We should be asking the question, What does this have to do with Jesus and what does this have to do with me? What are we to do with the scripture? And I want to share with you that in my own thinking that I've come to the conclusion that for me this scripture no longer is simply a call to be a prayerful person rather than a busy person. To me this scripture is about creating the right space of welcome. And I want to acknowledge here once again that it does take work to welcome somebody. (laughs) And I'm frankly, I'm grateful for the Marthas in our congregation. Are you? But I'm also grateful for the Marys in our congregation And frankly, just looking out over our congregation, we have some wonderful persons that have even learned how to do both at the same time, and I'm grateful for that, that have learned to be Marthas who are willing to work, but 
persons of of such depth that we are learning together how to be present, fully present with each other and fully present to Jesus in the midst of what we do. Because Martha does get some things wrong. For one reason, she, she, uh, she triangulates Jesus in the midst of her problems. She comes and she should have spoken to Mary directly, but no. She speaks to Jesus about her problem with Mary. She should have gone to Mary. And what is it that she has a problem with anyway? Is it about her work? I mean, she likes her work. That's who she is. She's a type A personality. Maybe the problem with Martha, and here we're getting to something, maybe the problem with Martha at that moment was her relationship not with Mary, but with Jesus. Mary, as she came to be present with Jesus, was said of by Jesus that she had chosen the better part. That Mary chose to be fully present to Jesus is a powerful thing. And as we try to create spaces of welcome, I hope that you will see how critically important this is. This is not about simply doing church. This is about being Christ's people in this place. And so I ask you today, have you the presence of Christ before you, behind you, around you, below you, above you, as the old Irish proverb goes, is Christ present in your life, in your busyness. Because that is what pleases God. And in fact, that is what will make us the hospitable church that we wish to be. As we come to the close of worship, I want to open this altar for those that might be feeling a sense of need for recommitting themselves to this. If you have never committed yourself fully to following Christ, I certainly want to ask that you would come. Today would be a good day for that decision. But if in your life you are committed, but your commitment has been lacking just because of all of the busyness of doing what you do, if you want to be fully present, I invite you, those that would like to come, to know that this altar is open.